My name is Maverick Matthews, and you are listening to Pepper for Your Steak. We thought we had something different here, you see. We live in both a very fragile and precious experiment in democracy, and we live in an empire that is experiencing profound decline. Reptilian agenda. Okay, well, let's talk about the reptiles. So you're saying the reptilians are luring humans to, like, Hawaii to, vaca- to vacation spots? The news is there to scare white people. I've said this for years. To live this life, you can't live the life everyone else lives. You're not going to be partying on the weekends. You're going to be performing on the weekends. You're not going to be watching the big uh, game on a Thursday night because you'll be in a club. You have to have that mindset that you don't belong, you don't go to the rhythm of the rest of the world. Pepper for your steak. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Maverick Matthews. Welcome back to another episode of Pepper for Your Steak. Uh, It's been a moment. It's been about a month almost since I've done anything. The last one was a DJ episode, so it's been a minute since you've heard my voice for any amount of time. I have an interesting episode for you this time. This episode is an interview that I did with my mother who passed away four and a half years ago. And one of the reasons I'm releasing it is because I just released my book, The Wreath of Madness in PDF form. It's at my website, maverickmatthews.com. And I thought, what could I do to kind of share some other personal material? So a quick background, the book that I released is kind of the story of my divorce. And I know that doesn't sound like something anybody wants to fucking read, but I'm a pretty sensitive man and I'm not ashamed to say that. And I've never, I didn't know what divorce was about from a man's perspective because you never hear about sensitive guys going through divorce and sort of having a hard time with it. You just hear like, oh yeah, they got a divorce, you know. What's that line from uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel? They got a divorce as a matter of course, and they parted the closest friends. Um, ugly, ugliness. And I, and I didn't actually, interesting, in, in, interestingly enough, in the book, I don't do any like airing of dirty laundry, or at least very little. I don't really spend my time talking about our fights or the details of why we got a divorce. The book is kind of a collection of my journals from our five-year relationship. And so I jumped back and forth between the good times and how I was feeling after, after things really degraded and got ugly. And it's very raw and it's very honest. And one of the reasons I wanted to write it was so that my son has a record of like what I was actually feeling, regardless of what anyone ever tells him about being estranged from him for a year. Or because I know he'll remember a lot of kids at his age might not, but my son is exceptionally intelligent and he brings up things that he recalls before things even degraded. So I know this is something he's going to remember and have questions about when he's older. And just in case I'm not around, at least my side is in, in the books for the record. It's also my stance on what family means and it's going to offend a lot of people. It's going to offend a lot of people because I kind of get really traditional. I didn't know how traditional I was. And I don't disparage any kind of family. I just talk about what I think the ideal is. 
And one of the reasons I did that was because I think that we need to have an ideal. If we're going to do anything, you need to have a perfect version to strive for. And I fucked up. I failed at the perfect version. And I will carry this around me forever. With, I will carry this around with me forever. And may, who knows? Maybe one day she and I will be able to come back together. One of the greatest insights I heard during this period came from my Buddhist instructor, Jack Cornfield, uh, instructor from afar. I've never gotten, I haven't gotten to meet the man yet, but I really would like to. But one of my biggest insights came from his honesty about his own relationship. And now this is a man who spent like seven years in a Buddhist ashram, is a very calm, beautiful, gentle person. And he said publicly, he said it multiple times, he had to separate from his own wife five times over the course of their relationship in order to finally get to a place of homeostasis. Just think about that. A brilliant Buddhist instructor who is the most gentle person, at least in my estimation, that's how he comes across. And still, with the best intentions and the most perfect honor, still he had to separate from his wife five times during the course of their marriage, 30 or 40 year marriage. It may be even be more than that now. And they had children and everything. That was really enlightening for me. I realized that what happens in most relationships is that most people just, as soon as things get challenging, they quit. And, and when someone, when you feel someone start to quit on you, the kind of resentment that that puts in you, I can testify to. It's a kind of madness because you're, you, you'd made promises to each other that were supposed to be forever. And then suddenly you're inconvenient. This is inconvenient to me. It's inconvenient that you're grieving for your mother. It's inconvenient that every day isn't a Hallmark movie or whatever, the Hollywood version of a relationship, a Disney movie. That's not life. That's not what life is. So this, bring, this brings me back to this interview that I'm going to play for you today. The book opens with a story about being in a flat in Venice, Italy, with my mother who's dying from cancer. And it's kind of me reminiscing about how I feel like I might be stuck in that flat forever. Like, at least a component of me will be. Because it represented a high point in my life. And that's really strange to say. Because my mother was dying, and she would be dead three weeks later. Now it's four, I guess it was four weeks later, from, this, from the moment the book opens on. And I didn't know that, but... When my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, we went to Europe because we asked her, we, you know, eventually we, we had to help her come to terms with the fact that this was it. You know, she was going to die. It was very likely that she was going to die. And was there anything that she wanted to do that she dreamed about doing in her life? She said, I've never been to Europe. And so my brother and his wife and their one and a half year old daughter and my pregnant wife at the time and I and my mother, we all got in, we... We took a trip to Europe for a month. We rented a van and we drove from country to country. And we visited Austria, Germany, Italy, Switzerland. Um, I think that's it. But we had this incredible European tour that my brother and his wife planned. And, and we... It sounds romantic. It was incredible. 
one of the biggest things that struck me over the course of the trip was why haven't we been doing this every couple years for our entire life? Everyone gets so caught up in the car payments and the let's just go on this vacation and I'm going to go to Vegas and bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And family has not been a priority in our country for a long time, at least for a lot of people. And, and that's a shame. And in hindsight, the biggest pain that I have about my divorce and about losing my mother was that And I take responsibility for this, but I also didn't come from a culture where that's the most important thing, and it should have been. I was born into one in Hawaii, but quickly moved away from one, where it's like, oh, you got to get your career going, and you got to become these things, and you got to figure all this stuff out, and you got to go do, 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 and accomplish. And in the end, I ended up like on this family vacation, the same kind of vacation we used to take as children. Thinking, man, these are the best moments of my life. And if I had just learned a way to prolong this, I would have had a different trajectory. So I'm going to share an interview with you now that my ex-wife and I did while she was pregnant. And we were sitting at a lakeside restaurant at Lago Maggiore in Italy. And it was two blocks from our Airbnb, which also overlooked the lake. And we were all staying in this flat together. And one night, we, we would take different nights. One night, my mother would go out with my brother and his wife and their daughter. And then the, other, the next night, she would spend a little alone time with me and my wife, and who was pregnant. And we would get some solo time together. Occasionally, we would do this on the trip. Mostly, we were all together. But this was our night to be with my mom. And so we... We ended up in a conversation that was kind of directed by me. You, you'll notice my very direct and sort of like overbearing tone here that I'm certainly well aware of now. And we all go through these stations in life. I was in a station where I was like in Hollywood. Things were crack a lacking. I was excited and interested and try, you know, trying to guide the conversation in my overbearing but positive way. I thought. And so forgive me for that, but, but I, th I, think, I still think this conversation is really special. And it does take place at an active Italian restaurant, and so you're going to hear a lot of background noise. You're going to hear a lot of glasses clinking. You're going to hear a lot of you know, interjections with the waiter. Hey, do you guys want espresso? Are we going to have dessert? How, let me taste some of that. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's just my iPhone sitting on a water glass. And the reason I did this was because my mom started telling some family history that I had never heard before. Um, this is some very personal stuff. And so a lot of it might be like, what, what, what does this mean to me? It means nothing. You're, you're getting a glimpse into a family who's being the most intimate right now. And, you know, people write movies on this stuff, but this is the real deal. With a mother who's dying... And she was really angry that she wasn't going to get to meet my son. That's all she wanted to do. That was her biggest goal was to meet my son. And he was born four months after she passed. And she, you know, she wasn't an angry person, but she, it really disappointed her. 
and that was like a a light that she really wanted to to manifest to reach life is unfair and so I don't offer this up to be like oh poor me or anything like that I offer this up to kind of remind you that if your parents are still alive, if if your family is still around, and even if they aren't, if your tribe is together, and even if it isn't, establish and develop a beautiful tribe and then learn things about them. One of the biggest things that culture has robbed us in America, okay, because culture is something which is taught, but your heritage is something which belongs to you. American culture has robbed everyone of its heritage because culture teaches us to be materialist. It teaches us to have different value systems, to, to be independent and, and run away and do all these things. And certainly there's a time and a place to do that. But you also need to maintain the very fragile string that connects you to your heritage. And so if you have an opportunity to learn from aunts or uncles or grandparents, if you're that lucky, Anyone, learn your heritage. Learn it. Write it down. Teach it to people younger than you and your family. Make it survive. I'm blessed to have heritage in story form that goes back into the early 1800s. And perhaps even earlier, according to some of the genealogy books that I inherited from my grandfather. I'm super, super blessed, but I wish I was old enough to have asked them in person about that, like I did here. So without further ado, here is a conversation which starts in the restaurant and then it finishes in the flat. It finishes in the apartment. And my brother and his wife were asleep with um, their daughter and she kind of wakes up at the end. And I, so I cut it, it gets cut short and that's because Little baby Isla woke up because we were still talking too loud. My voice is booming. So it starts in this amazing restaurant. Enjoy the ambiance. Enjoy the background. Be there with us. Thank you for letting me share this with you. If you are so inclined, please visit my website and consider purchasing my book. I would like to make this offer. I'm recording the audiobook right now, which I'm reading myself. And if you go and purchase the PDF cop copy before I release the audiobook, which will come out in about two weeks. No, more like a, hopefully within a week. If, if you purchase the PDF copy now, I will give you a free copy of the audiobook. So there's a little bonus. Together, they'd be more than twice as, twice as expensive. So check that out. That would mean a lot to me. That's one of the only ways I'm supporting my son in my shared custody now. And the book does take you through the trajectory of this moment here, where we are a beautiful family, to today, where I am in a tiny efficiency in Gulfport, Florida, still trying to maintain my ranch in Idaho and find a new direction for my life and new meaning, but also after having reestablished custody of my son and trying to be hopeful about the way forward. 
it is quite the journey. <laughs> so thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this. And here we go. I, I teleport you to 2018, September, late September, Lago Maggiore, Italy. Maverick Matthews, pepper for your steak. I would be back in the document. I have various documents. So it would be better to delay that conversation until we're together again and we can go through it together. Well, just, I would love to do that, but just tell me stories about what you remember. But you see, know. I didn't spend that much time with that part of the family. That's okay. Just like what you gleaned off talking to him growing up. Like, what was his childhood like? Of the Richmond? Well, he was born in raised. He was born and raised in a little town, Waverly, Virginia, outside Richmond. What did his parents do? Well, my grandfather. <coughs> what did he do? He may have been. I don't remember to tell you honest to God truth. And he had a stroke early. I'm enough. Were they well to do? Were they poor? What kind of Oh, they were they had enough and it was they were all invested in the tobacco industry. Was it lumber? It went to lumber. But it was they originally had, tobacco. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. When my daddy got out of the war, um, and he I mean out of the military after the war and he needed to go to work he had a full college degree but he went to work selling in the tobacco industry you know selling tobacco, tobacco. To, to cigarette manufacturers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then i didn't know that so like okay i don't know if lauren knows this but my grandfather was a corsair pilot he flew those blue planes that had the bent wings with the propeller in the front. Mm -hmm. Off of aircraft carriers. Off of aircraft carriers. We shot down twice. Once had to spend a week on a deserted island with a dead co-pilot. Like had a very amazing... I, do you, did he... I, I know he didn't talk about the war at all, right? No. My grandfather didn't either. Yeah. I mean, when he made you guys that scrapbook, that was unheard of. Because I... And you, do you have, you have that, right? Of course. Okay. Because I begged him to not let that history go untold um, he just was too emotional too emotional his whole life he couldn't do it and then he finally put together a scrapbook for the boys and it had all his medals and all the there was a ticker tape thing in there that they were on an aircraft carrier and they were getting ready to send them on a mission to fly and they all said no, we don't have enough gasoline. We'll run out because they were running low. And they got a ticker tape thing back from who was it? One of the famous men in history of generals, yeah, or like yeah. A admiral. Yeah, and saying that all pilots are expendable. You have this in the book? Yeah. The actual ticker tape? I'm pretty sure it's in there. But he's like. Try getting in a plane to take off after somebody has told that to you. It's like you just fly as far as you can, and then we appreciate what you did for the I country. Kind of, maybe. It's hard to read, but I don't know. Isn't that sort of what you would feel going into it? But that's, unfortunately, that's the reality of war. Protecting, right. But you hope that your superiors... That's true. Take that very seriously. That's true. And, oh, yeah. And don't 
like the, it's the it's the language yes. and the, and the, the translation of course which really sure when they signed the up bill. they knew yeah. that their life was in danger just like people going to afghanistan and iraq and iran and everything else right now i know i can't believe i know the amount of people that i do that went and came back i know people are just ruined you know, I, one of my best friends Anyway, so, okay, he went to war. Yeah. He came back and, and became a tobacco. Yeah, on the... Because they were tobacco barons. Yeah. I mean, they were pretty yeah. well-to-do. Um, My understanding of the Virginia family point, is that... At that nobody was hugely rich at that point because of the war and everything, so everybody was really struggling to... What do you do with your land and all of that stuff? Right. But then... Um, when things started to mellow out a little, he decided that wasn't what he wanted to do. And he was married and, you know, had I mean, to mother and had my brother, because my brother was a war baby. And like on leave? Well, no, I mean, he... Like she got pregnant on leave? While he was on leave? During the war? Yeah, it was one of and his... And she was born while he was gone? Um... No, he, they were stationed in Kingsville, Texas, and my dad was working on one of the levels of a flight school when, um, when my brother was born. And then he went, he was shipped off, you know, my, all three of them, my two uncles and my dad. And she lived in base housing? She, um, every time one of them would get shipped off on an aircraft carrier, then my grandmother would travel across country and pick up the her daughter and the baby and travel back, whether it was by train or whether it was, they drove from uh, one coast to the other in an old, some kind of car on retread tires. You know she what that did. means? I mean, I'm imagining just like really thin. No, so like they used to make the tires with thicker rubber mm. because they actually would last longer. And now they make them thin on purpose so they break. But like they made them thicker, and then you would wear the tread out, you would take it back, and it would cut new grooves in them. Yeah, but they're it still crazy. less, you know, safe than brand new ones. Sure. And so. Um, and your brother's how much older than you? Six years. He was born in 1943, right before the end of the war, and he was the oldest of three grandsons. Um, her three daughters were all married to naval pilots, mm -hmm. and they all were, they were, you know, this one was on this aircraft carrier, and this one was on this one, and this one was on this one, and so they're all, at times, they would, you know, two of them would be living with my grandmother, or, and then another one would be born, and then she'd load everybody up and go across country and get that one, and then this one would get come into port and they'd have some R&R &R together and then they'd get deployed to somewhere else. It was crazy. And how old was he when she became pregnant with your brother? How old were they? Uh, my mother and dad? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Well, it sounds daddy like was... pretty accomplished pretty quickly. I'm not sure if that was just... 
he oh, yeah. young in doing that, or if he was... Well, he went to like Virginia Military years. Institute, and so he was military trained and came out an, off, an sure. officer well, like to begin with. No, no, no right. he came out an officer. Right. And so he was already four steps up the rung of, gotcha. you know, before he even started. And then when he... When the war started, then they pulled all these educated men and, you know, who had to join, and they all ended up in flight school and became naval pilots. And then my mother's only brother was the youngest of four, and he was in the Army. Um, what was his name? Uncle, well, his name was Otto Edward Ar- Arnim Jr. Otto? Otto. Otto Edward Arnim Jr. And then Otto. Otto is the third, and little Otto is the fourth. So they've got... Anyway, so they... All of them survived the war, though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was Uncle Sherman who was with the co-pilot that died, not Dad. Uncle Sherman got shot down. He was the last to leave the plane because he was the commanding officer on the plane. And he swam for like 10 hours all night to get to what he thought was land, and it turned out to be some island in the Pacific. And he said, he he used to tell me he could... He remembered swimming, and when, every time his hand went down, the fluorescence of the bubbles and yeah, of the bubbles and stuff, and all he could think about was sharks and stuff, you know. Shit. Yeah, you just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Nick. Ah, oh, so mm. good. Thank you so much. Volete qualcos'altro, dessert? You want dessert? I don't. Do you want to wrap that up? Wrap which up? Yours. I finished it. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing to wrap up. I thought you were joking. Thank you so much. Does anyone want dessert? No, no, no. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. So, anyway, they. Do you want some more wine? They no. They were doing the three. The three uncles were doing. Um, flight training in Corpus Christi where I was born and my grandmother who was widowed yeah thank you so much Um, so good it's right here later tonight tonight. We, we just bought all that food sorry I'm sorry no it's all right you know uncles were all stationed in Corpus Christi where I grew up and so my grandmother the girls were all still living at home and when the war started and so my grandmother used to entertain the naval pilots all the it was just kind of the thing to do because every, the whole country was involved in the war in any way that you could be and so on Sunday she would have you know, it, she would have huge meals, family meals for 
the naval officers. And that's how my mother and her two <coughs> sisters met naval pilots. Oh, that's convenient. And they all became really good friends. And, you know, I mean, the, the guys. So good. Thank you. I wonder if uh, my grandfather crossed paths with yours. He was between Texas and Cuba. Our grandfather was in the same place, Martin, as George Bush Sr. Yeah, I just know nothing about my grandfather. Which shows you how, how small want to talk that about realm it. of able aviators But I mean, if was. he was in Texas... Well, he was an aviator? Yeah. Oh, I guarantee they crossed paths. If not a training... It was one of the biggest flight training schools. It was in Corpus Christi, at Corpus Christi Naval Air Station. And then in Kingsville, they had a higher level training. And so that's... Is that what, in Texas, too? Yeah, it's about um, 45, 50 miles from Corpus. And so dad and mother got stationed there. And he was doing some basic training and stuff and that's where my brother was born hmm. so, yeah. and you were born in texas too mm -hmm. in corpus christi because after the war was over they um they moved back to they moved to dallas and he went in the insurance business and then when i was born <clears throat> um they were having problems and um, your mom and dad yeah and so mother ended up moving home with my brother and I so I was young my parents divorced when I was four you remember no o only thing I remember about when I was like four or five was the absolute pain of always telling one of my parents goodbye because my dad would come down to pick us up and you know take me to my brother and I to go spend our time with him and my god forsaken stepmother and then I'd get <coughs> so accustomed to being with my daddy because I loved him just as much and then the holiday would be over and I'd have to say goodbye and go back to live with my mother. How did your brother react? Um, pretty he was six years older, so he was ten? Yeah, he w it was pretty much the same. It did. It, and my stepmother, well, first off, my father, his every waking breath was for my brother and I, you know. And he loved Tiki, but he... You know, he had a different love for his children, and they tried to have kids, and she had like four or five miscarriages, and finally had, had sorry, had lot. to have a, a hysterectomy, and she never, ever, ever could... Get over that? Well, she couldn't ever grasp the idea that your love for your child can be mm. different than your love for your mate. Interesting. She never she got over... grow up with... She grew up babies with babies in her life? <laughs> Not a lot. I don't think if you don't think you really grasp it until you have one. My sister's kids are my kids. Right. But I, I really 
No, she did not. Two, she had twin sisters, and one of which was a nun. And then she had another sister and a brother. And she was one of the older ones, and she was flying for um, Brannett, the then Brannett Airlines for my dad. She was. And why was he? She was a stewardess? Yeah. Is that where those espresso mugs came from? Yep. The black and white. No, but that came from Tom. Well, but they had him way back then. So this is such a weird coincidence. Tom was the CFO for Brandon. No. 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 He Tom, worked for Brandon. Tom was a, a consultant for Brandon. Oh, but he was he, chief of the or not, something he to do was, with the Civil Aeronautics Board? Yes, he was the chief justice for the Civil Aeronautics Board in Washington, D.C. It wasn't until he retired fully with the government that he... So he, he would have known Howard Hughes. He would have known... Oh, he knew all those people. That is so... That's deep. That's the highest caliber. And when he retired, he made his decision to retire either in Corpus Christi or in Hawaii. But he was doing legal consulting for. So hold on, he lived in D.C. Yeah, he lived in D.C. his whole career. So mom, your your nana met him in Corpus after he retired. Yeah. Okay. So he decided to be in Corpus because it was, you know, it was too far to travel back and forth from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. when he was representing Braniff in some case or something, you know, he decided Corpus was a little warm, but he wanted to be on the water in warm weather. But he um, went to Hawaii and he was, um, he was the... On a five-panel board, he was still chief justice then. For, um, or maybe it was seven people. For they had to do airline hearings to allow a new airlines to have a route and come into a state or come into an area. And uh, Hawaii was totally locked into Hawaiian Airlines. They didn't have any options until Aloha Airlines came along and said, "We want to." provide, you know, some choices for the people of the state of Hawaii. And so it got down to the board having to make a vote, and um, they tied. And so he cast the descending vote to allow Aloha Airlines charter into the state of Hawaii. So he would, he and mother would go over there, and I'm not kidding, they would literally roll out a red carpet. And it didn't matter what he wanted to do. Right. He was wined and dined. And, That's so great. Uh, we flew the first couple of years that I lived in Hawaii, and I went back and forth with them. I flew first class. And what year was this, roughly? Well, it was when I graduated, so it's probably 72. So the main reason why you got over to Hawaii was because he joined... I graduated from college. Because of that, all that interest. They, yeah. Had, yeah. they had married in January of that year. And I went back to school and finished up my... Uh, I was working on my fifth year special ed certification. And so I went back and finished up that summer, but he took mother to Hawaii for their honeymoon. And she called me from there, and here it was in January, cold and whatever. And she's like, we're going to bring you when you get out of school for a vacation. You've got to see this place. You're just going to fall in love with it. Well, that, that was, was all the, it took. That was around 70? 71, so think about this. Hawaii became a state in 59. Mm -hmm. 
So we've only been a state for like 12 years. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. So they took me over for two weeks and we Did went. Did it change dramatically, like instantly? Or no. what were the, no. what were the instant it's changes been. to make it a state? That's a long story. Yeah. So yeah. we'll get into that another night. There's a whole history. Yeah, that's a really that. dark, kind of sad. Between the Hawaiians. Was the and university that you went to still open to American citizens before it became a state? No, I didn't go to school in Hawaii. She went after oh. she graduated. It's okay. like grad present. Yeah. Gotcha. Sorry, I thought you said you finished school. I did. I oh. finished school in Austin, and then they took me as gotcha. a graduation present to Hawaii. So, yeah. It's, um, I've seen a few of these pictures, and there's like always some dark, handsome dude sitting next to her at the table. <laughs> Remember? No. <laughs> hey, I had no fun. I wasn't an angel growing up. <clears throat> None of us are. I know a few of these. Do you want some more? Mm-mm. Okay, so you guys go over there. And you, I. Where would you stay? At the Royal Hawaiian, excuse me, we stayed only in the classiest places. So we went to Oahu, then we went to Maui, and then we went to Hilo. And I fell in love with the Big Island. And Mother had arranged for us to go, for me to, and Mother to go on a hunting trip up on Mauna Kea. And I shot a ram. <coughs> and, um, you know, so I was like, by the end of the two weeks that we were over there, I'd already decided I was moving over there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, well, I was already researching jobs. So I had... And where was your brother at this point? My brother was... He was already quite ill. He was in Corpus um, selling insurance for Mutual of New York insurance. And he was starting to really have problems. So, because I moved to Hawaii in like 72, late 72, and my brother died in 83. Yeah. So when did he, when was he on the rodeo circuit? Oh, when he was in. When he was much younger? Yeah when he was in high school and in junior college. He lived for horses. <clears throat> so you would go over, stand, amazing, first class stuff. What kind of stuff would you guys do? Like, what would, you know, the hunting, I mean, what, what other stuff? Well, it was I only went... a different place back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I went hunting that one time with my, my mom arranged it for us to have guides. And then I became really good friends with Manny, who lived in Waimea, was a firefighter, and he and his team took us hunting, and we became really good friends. And so he used to take me hunting all the time. It was crazy. Did you find that there were a lot of people that had come over from America to Hawaii at that time? It was America then. That's what I mean. You mean I from guess the I mean. continentals? It's very offensive for somebody to say from America. I, well, I guess I meant it as in, like, because it had just become a state. Right, she right means, before she means, then, she means it the was Americas, just America. North and South. So I meant it more yeah, like yeah. that. No, it's okay. Well, it's hard for me to say because I 
It was already a state when I moved there. Sure. Yeah. I just wasn't sure if we there were, say, a, were lot there a lot of, of transplants already. Yeah, transplants. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. sure. And the military did a lot of that. But it's a melting pot of Pacific. Mm. There was a lot of everything. Sure. We, we were... But that happened immediately after... So quick, quick primer. In the 1800s, late 1800s, there were mass migrations because it became a territory in like mm -hmm. 1913. And right before it became a territory, the reason it became a territory was because there were massive fruit interests, sugar and pineapple especially, and they were exporting those things to the Americas and paying export tariffs because it was a kingdom uh, and import tariffs, right? So. A bunch of bit this is called pineapple politics. A bunch of businessmen arranged a coup and got the backing of the U.S. government through some false pretenses. They, they said that they were in danger and all this nonsense and orchestrated a coup, overthrew the queen. And it was a very when we, saying that we had a monarchy, there's different kinds of monarchies around the world, there's, there's brutal ones and rough stuff. It was a very happy, happy monarchy. Like the, the, before the last queen, the the ruler uh, under dad's side of the family, King Kalakaua, was, his nickname was the Merry Monarch. You know, it was very positive, like everybody liked the system, everybody was cool with what was going on. And the, the only reason it changed was political. So all of a sudden now all these giant fruit interests and flower interests and all this stuff being exported, all these businessmen, uh, basically take control of the whole state. Want their piece of pie. Right, and they're and they have to have labor for all these plantations, and so people who were living, working the land and fishing and living these very, the Hawaiians are extremely famous for having tons of free time. They invented surfing, they invented all these sports because they had free time. Well, it went from that to being plantation workers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of animosity was built up like unforgivable to this day animosity now it's really erupted again yeah and there's a surge to like you know secede because it's like you know puerto rico look what just happened with the storm you know it's one of these outliers right and you know you've heard the stories for me like it's a it's a unregulated faraway place where shenanigans happen you know do you really so, think if what happened to Puerto Rico happened to Hawaii, it'd be just as bad? No, as because Puerto Rico? because Hawaii is an official state. Hope Puerto Rico is a territory. Sure. And people treat it like that. Yeah, it's weird. It's just, but it's unacceptable. It's still ours. They're still full yeah, citizens. The They're still full citizens. Well, we do, but our government let right. them down. Right. right. Of course. Anyway, so that's a quick primer. So there's a lot of animosity from that, and people, a lifestyle absolutely changed. You know, but to, to digress, to work on the plantations because there was so much work and you could be, and it was transitioning towards being a territory or was a territory in, in 1913, you know, and even in the 1800s, people started flooding it because there was work from all over the world. So like 20,000 Portuguese immigrated over there, you know, tens of thousands of Koreans, Chinese, you know, every, all over the world, but especially the Pacific Rim and Micronesia because they're all near them, mm -hmm. right? But even from Portugal, so our family on that side sailed on a British ship, booked passage on a British ship that took three and a half months. And they only sighted land one time for one day to make the journey. The four brothers. With like a trunk and a sister, right? I think it was just the four brothers. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so that's a quick primer. So by the time she got there, 
the, the, it all had, the pot had been stirred. The pot's not only been stirred, but it's been dominated, and it's been moved towards the, the white money people who are now running everything and building giant hotels. Or trying to, at least. No, no, no. They're, they're running the game, and they orchestrated the coup, you know, back in But we were in the minority. When I moved right. to Hawaii, the white people were in the minority. <clears throat> And what
we just hit the road running, looking for a job. And Kathy got one, worked for Long's Drug. She got a job before me. And then I, she was one of the checkers Checker. and one of the, yeah. And I went to work uh, at Big Island Glass and Glazing, one of the glass companies. So I was 20, like 22. No, for windows and selling, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, construction. Gotcha. So I was... Um, you another sip? No, I was in my prime. I was like 22, 23, and I'm working in a construction industry as the girl Friday in the office. <laughs> There's nothing but men coming in. Right. So I was partying hardy and no. having a grand old time. And then after 10 months, which we had agreed we would go for a year, that was going to be our great adventure. And then I was going to come back and find a teaching job and do my thing. And after 10 months, she had been going with this guy in Houston, and she couldn't stand it. She was in love with him, so she bailed on me and went she home. She met him in Hawaii, or she met him in No, Houston she had been dating him in Houston, but he was married, and so it was a real, and so it was a real, you know, I encouraged her, just get away and leave this guy in, go leave his wife, and blah, blah, blah. Well, she never, she never got out of that mode, and so she moved back to Houston, and uh, I was like, I was having the time of my life, <laughs> so I was like, I'm staying till my year is over. Yeah. And then I met Reg and stayed 20 years. How'd you meet him? You met just, him at a party, right? Yeah, some, some just kind of through a mutual friend. We just, God. It was... Down memory lane. And was he married at the time, or was he? He was, before? but they were already they separated. Were separated, and so and had been for a long time. And mm -hmm. she had been in an affair with this guy in Hilo for it was a known fact for years. So they were living there, Karen. Oh yeah, with the, the kids and everything. I didn't realize that she ever lived in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Um, all I the kids, they, everybody. I thought he was living in Nebraska and separated and moved back. Okay, no, so like, no, tell no, me no, what, no, tell no. me. They, they bought the Ina Ola house together. She lived in that house? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so they they were separated, and but he, you know, it was so tough for him the first couple of years that we were together. He just couldn't cut that string because, that tie because of his kids. Yeah. He was so devoted to his kids. <laughs> but he finally did, and we ended up, and she moved to Oahu to finish her nursing degree. And how old were the kids at that point? Woody was in middle school, so Woody was like 13 maybe, and Ann was 12, and Jill was like 9. And then Christian was three. So she moved to Oahu for a year, finished one or two years, and finished her nursing degree, her RN degree. And then by then they were totally divorced and everything. And um, she decided to move back to Nebraska and be closer to her family, which about killed Reg. 
you know, because his kids were so far she away. Kids. Yeah. So they, we flew them back and forth, and right. were they able to work most stuff out without court systems, or did they have to go through? I don't know. Legal stuff. Um, they did for child support sure. and for alimony and stuff sure. like that, but yeah, they. Were you there the other night when she was talking about how they were broke? I didn't know this. I didn't know. Like, it makes sense, but like, he was paying child support on four kids right. as a doctor, doing right. well, but. Right. But. And alimony. Alimony. Well, I mean, you know, he had to pay her sure, of course. a certain amount for so helping like, put him. Like, she wasn't working. They were like paycheck to paycheck. I didn't know that. Oh, God, yes. It drains you. My oh, brother no, is paycheck to no, paycheck. No, I know. are big. Sort of. If it goes right yeah. out the window, what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, it's um, not easy. Okay, I need to go back. Tired? Oh, before you go, can we do a picture? I love the lights in the background. Sure. Do you mind if we use your phone? Because yeah. I didn't bring mine. We can get one of those guys. All right, so the remainder of this is back, just a little few more minutes back in the apartment after dinner. We'd walked home down this cobblestone street next to an Italian lake. Save up some money and go to Europe, folks, while you're still allowed to. And take your family with you. And spend as much time with your family as you can. Pepper for your steak. Well, you asked me what Lauren asked me about growing up and I was like that's what I remember but my dad told me Dexters. so many times he and my brother got estranged like yeah what happened with that 10 years because of Tiki so like how did that what, 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 what and like why going, did you why like, what was she trying she, to do that she because she was bitter? insanely jealous of my brother and I from the day she walked into our lives. She couldn't grasp this. Because she couldn't have kids. Because he, we would go up there for two weeks or whatever, and my dad just wanted to spend every waking moment in whatever we wanted to do, and, you know, and she... So like, what would she do? She was just nasty to us. I mean, she just was an unhappy person. But she, on top of that... She schemed to do stuff that, I mean, she was the reason that Dad and Freddie Bosworth split their business because she was so insanely jealous of his relationship. Like a hyper-successful, uh, well, hyper-successful insurance business? Yeah. He, she was so insanely jealous of that, that that family was, embraced us so much and, and, you know, and that we did so much together and she wasn't the center of attention. So she just, she was impossible. She was impossible, but she, she, my brother saw through it because he was six years older than I was. And so he bucked the system. Called her up. Yeah. And she just, you know, she hated him. She was, Openly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so sad. And then, you know, she played along with the game with me. Well, she made my life miserable through high school. She was a, such a bitch. I mean, my dad wanted the doors open and the table 
whoever came home with me was welcome to have dinner and you know it was just because that was the lifestyle I was used to you know it was just why wouldn't you want that but she would not allow it unless it was planned with her ahead of time you can't just bring extra people in so I you know I couldn't do anything with my friends that you know he would say yes and she would say no so stupid. He threatened to divorce her a number of times, but then he never went through with it. So stupid. She was evil, 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 evil. Oh, I've seen and then with, evidence of that. It's weird, like, what perverts a person like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A bitterness will do. Yeah. And then when, um, when Granddad died, you know, then oh. pulled all the plugs on everything, and you know, it took us three years to even. Wouldn't even talk to you, like huh? directly. I remember just, yeah. I just remember being in meetings where the lawyers were on the phone, and we'd have them on speakerphone, and she was in the. You knew she was there. Yeah. But she wouldn't condescend to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a fucking bitch. And when we talked about a list of things that he wanted us to have. Oh, and, and like her claims to what she had done. She didn't, that's all bullshit. No, I think she did sell it all. And no, she, well, she said that she, the ring specifically melted it down and made another piece of jewelry I bet, out of it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't in a, I believe, second. I believe she was capable of it. Oh, you know, I wouldn't for sure. one second doubt that she didn't. Do you think she was just like a, like one of these black widows? Because she married another wealthy man after him. Yeah, was one of Dad's classmates from Big Do you think she was just like a, what do they call those things that attach to sharks? Yeah. A remora. She she really was one of these people who just she, had no. Like you wonder about folks. Like, I understand getting bitter, but at a certain point, hate doesn't serve you. Like you actually end up living a worse existence, right? But I think she was so, she was not smart. She was no, not no. What I mean person. is, I do you think she was, she was stupid? She didn't know. That. I don't know about stupid. I don't mean. Like, do you think she was in the percentage of people who don't have empathy? There's around around. Sociopaths. Yeah, they say around ten percent of the population like may not have the same kind of empathy that you and I have. They don't feel the repercussions of their actions. I have friends like this who I've had recent breakups with, <coughs> and I, I honestly believe that they may not have the same type of empathy. He has a capability of it, man. I know a lot more about him than you do. But but I've seen Tiki act very sensitive for our entire childhood, like our entire life. Faked it. Yeah, she faked it the whole time. Like we would have dinner and we, you know, we spent thousands of hours. Yeah. In this woman's presence, Lauren, thousands. Oh, I totally and I never once you know questioned whether her feelings were authentic. They felt muted. You know. Well, I. But now you wouldn't question whether or not she was faking it. Like her actions told the story when he died. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How strange. Yeah, so good. <clears throat>
It's really interesting that she died of brain cancer. <laughs> and now look who else has it. Well, cancers, everyone has cancer. You know, they say that every person above the age of 27 has cancer cells in their body. It's just a matter of how much your body can keep up with it. Why is that picture backwards? Upside down. That's a great question. I think there was a safe back there. <coughs> Somebody bumped it and it hit the floor and they threw it back up, probably. I'm not convinced it's upside down. Look at these. They're both the same artist, and they have the title at the top. It's quite obvious. They put the loops on the wrong place, and they're like, gosh. Or they, yeah, if you put the picture in, these are cheap frames, and if you put it in the frame, see how they have the hanger? Yeah. And then you're like, Look this, at this is a rental house. Well, don't you? take it down. Just be careful. Yeah, right. There's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah, they put it in the frame upside down and didn't notice because they were just dressing the room. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, she just was always, she couldn't stand my brother. And yeah. I've never heard stories like you told, though. Like, I never heard, you know, how about, about how Granddad took, knew that Audie was in town or something and took stakes over. And yeah, out she to made the him farm. Go and take him back. And, that's I was just... so excited because my brother had agreed to come to school up there to Tyler Junior College and live out at the farm, which was Freddie's farm, but Sharon's dad. Who's Freddie? Yeah. Sharon's dad. <clears throat> and um, we would all go out on the weekends and stuff. The well, the two dads and all. The so kids. he was living on their farm. Oh, and they had this rambling. Bunkhouse and stuff? House out there. For, for hands? No, it was just, I don't know, it was just on the property. The big house. It. Yeah, it was a nice house. I mean, it was an okay house. And so Freddie would go out every weekend, at least one night, and my dad would go out too, and the two guys would stay out there and all with all the kids. Mm. Always Friday night, because Saturday night they had to be home because Church. they had... You know, they were all big Catholics, so they had to go to church on Sunday. But Did you go to church on Sundays? I went with to them? the Episcopal church. With them? No. So how did that go? Oh. I mean, like, what made you... He, your dad's Catholic. At what point did you become Episcopal? No, I was always Episcopalian. I said the, the Bosworths were all Catholic. Okay, but your but granddad went to a Catholic church? No. No. Uh, he didn't really practice a lot after that. He, um, he went to the Episcopal Church when we were in town, and he. He'd go with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he. Take you too. He no, she went to the Catholic Church. Same so they way. went to different. So, but he wasn't really that invested in it. He was, but he wasn't a real good practicing. What does that yet. mean? Practicing means go every week kind of thing. I, I went to church every week, you know, pretty Even much. when you graduated college and everything, you still kept it up? Um, there were periods of my life when I really... What was Hawaii like for that, for religion? Well, Dad and I, because Dad was Catholic. Right. And I was... A How devout was Dad? Huh? How devout was he? 
Um, he was. Pretty, I mean, I know how he was raised. I know how the Portuguese he are. He was very devout, but he uh, couldn't. He got excommunicated from the Catholic Church when he di- when he divorced Karen. Officially. Supposedly, yeah. Well. And so the same thing happened to Dad. And, um, uh, is that, yeah. So Granddad used to be Catholic too. No, he was Episcopal. They were raised Episcopalian. Okay. But when he when because he of Tiki, she got excommunicated from the church. She was previously married. No, but she married a man that was. That's wrong too. Oh yeah. Okay. And who was not Catholic, and so she it it made her so obsessed that it started in that day and time. My brother was like. It was about that time. He was like senior in high school, freshman in college, whatever. When it came out with the Catholic Church that you could have a previous marriage annulled if you had enough you had money. To pay? Yeah. How much did that cost? I don't know. They, if you donate a certain amount to the church, but you yeah, don't know. I have no clue in hell. But and anyway, you could, it could be annulled. That's like yes. buying indulgences. That's ridiculous. Well. And what it, so it, my mother found out, and then, because all, this priest in Corpus called her. Was doing it. No, this priest in Corpus had to co-interview um, her. And this is how the Catholic Church worked. If you wanted your marriage annulled, it, you had to prove that it was not meant to be in the first place. They had two children. And so... Out of the clear blue, this priest called my mom and wanted to meet with her, and she's like, what? And so she talked to him briefly. They were just being predatory. It was ridiculous. And then, um, and so what it meant, you know, my brother was like, what the hell? That makes us bastards, you know, because... I mean, really, you're going to know oh, yeah. so that's the, that didn't exist. So, like, the, the, the repercussions on the kids is, like, like, what, what does that mean legally? Like, how did the government, like, well, what does that all mean legally? they don't recognize it. It's man-made. I mean, it's religion. And so they don't even, so it's not like that they, there would, like, anything to do with a will or anything like that. It wouldn't invalidate no, anything no, weird. No, no, no. Right. They were already divorced. That was all settled. So the government's like, whatever, this is, this is, yeah, this yeah, is, this is semantics that of, you guys can yes, work out. religion. Right. right. And so <clears throat> my brother just couldn't deal with it. And but she did it. Yeah, she, you know. Your mom and your dad. No, my mother didn't want any part. She didn't. Oh, good for her. No, because we were Episcopalian. We didn't believe in that bullshit. And so <laughs> my dad, but my dad helped her pay for it. And that was the cap, uh, the, the stick that broke the camel's So who paid for it? Help Tiki pay for it to get it Tiki down. wanted one. Of course. For him. She wanted hers and my dad's marriage to be recognized so she could go back into the Catholic Church. She could go to church, so but she, she couldn't she take wanted the sacraments. Your fa- she wanted your father's marriage annulled. Yes. And so he paid to have his own marriage annulled on yes. his half. Well, for whatever. I don't know how much it costs. And I no, I just mean like half. on his, because your mom didn't participate in it. She was like, whatever. No, so it no. was only effective. Like he was the only one participating in the annulment. But in the eyes of the church, it counts for both people. Yes. It's in as the if, Catholic church. Right, sure. It didn't do squat in the Episcopal church. Because they, they don't care. care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
So Reg, the same thing happened with them, but they didn't go through with it. No, because he wasn't that invested. He was. She, Karen wasn't. She wasn't a practice. So he was interested in it? Well, he was interested in going back to church and being able to take Because the they treat you weird. And you can't take communion. No. Nope. How do they know? They know who you are? It's that small community? Well, it's more like the truth to yourself at that point. Well, but Maybe. they lived in Hilo, dear, and so everybody in town knew it. But that's my point. Like, they did know the community's small. Yeah. He's high profile. He's the doctor of the town. But it didn't matter. You, you, If you believed in your religion strong enough, you wouldn't have lied about something like that. No, not lied. Uh, Lauren's absolutely right. Like, it matters to, to yourself more. Yeah, of course. Anyway, so, so he did it. No, he didn't do so it. So they he helped pay. No, Dad. Granddad did, but Dad didn't. Correct, correct. And Karen, <clears throat> Karen was a, a Catholic convert because to marry your dad, she had. Back then, you had to actually convert. Mm-hmm. Just if to get married. Wanted, if, if you wanted them to recognize the it. Catholic Church. So it happened on both sides of the family. But it only ended like in the eighties, like. No, this shit goes on still. Yeah, but I'm talking in majority. That was the majority of what was going on. That's not the majority now. Not even close. But, like, you, back then to get married and stuff, you had to take, like, blood tests and stuff, right? Like, weird shit. Didn't you? I don't remember doing a blood test. But I don't even know what those are for. I don't remember it. Anyway. Yeah, you take a blood test to make sure that you're not related. That's required by law. Not anymore. It's definitely not. Certain states. Mm-mm. It goes state by to state. Do one. It goes state by state. This sure is still states. a requirement? Yes. My sister had to do one. That's crazy. Had to or volunteered to? If you're getting married, if you're going to the... Oh, because of the church, not because no, of anybody no, else. No, go to no. church. Not for legal. No, we, legally in the sense that she went to the town hall. You have to get a certificate. The marriage you get out in your backyard means absolutely nothing. When you go to the town hall and sign the paperwork... And involve the government in your and involve the government personal life, which personal is a terrible life, idea to begin with. They require a blood test to be able to get that. Not every but Not every where state, she happened to be. But Connecticut, yes. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's how it is. Some places. Yeah, yeah I think like Mississippi, Kansas, like I think there's like a couple states probably that don't like, require it. No, no, no. There's The majority don't. I can put word to this. Like there's drive through places in Vegas. I 100% know. California does not. It's considered to be extremely invasive now. Like I bet you there's... Actually, let's find out. <coughs> I'm real curious. What's your bet, number-wise, 50 states? I don't know. I don't even know if there, if it exists for any states anymore. My sister got married like 15 years ago. Oh, it's still by state. Most do not. Um, it says that uh, premarital blood tests check for venereal de- diseases and rubella. The test may also disclose the presence of genetic disorders such as sickle cell anemia or Tay-Sachs disease. 
Domestic partnerships. Does your religion have anything to say about naming your children about anyone who's still alive? No. For the Jews, it's like a big no-no, right? For the Jews, it's supposed to be considered bad luck. I've never really known what I thought about it. Never had to think about it. Oh, my Jewish friends, that was... Yeah, no, you don't do it, but I'm just, there's a lot of things that my religion says that I have not followed over the years. Okay, here we go. The states which still require blood tests. This is alphabetical, so when I tell you that the first one is D, District of Columbia, all the A, Bs, and Cs do not. District of Columbia, uh, Mississippi. That's it. Oh, except New. Okay, so New York. Except New York is a no, except for sickle cell anemia testing for African American and Hispanics because it's so common with those ethnicities, which means nothing. Like, why would you? Anyway, okay, uh, literally, it's D.C. and Mississippi and New York for sickle cell. That's it. That's crazy that they still hang on to that. Like, they're going to prevent you from being in love because you happen to have a pre-genetic condition. Like, that you can't control. Well, I don't think they're going to deny you the license, I think. Well, I have a test then. So your partner knows... And so, you, if, you know, if you plan to have children, you know that there's a high percentage right. of right. incidents that that's going to happen. Yeah. It's education, and it's not to deny. Whoa. I might say, actually. Sorry, I didn't mean to railroad the conversation, but... Um, okay, so that when license expires, how soon you may marry... That one's pretty loud. That sounds pretty. And that, of course, was when our little conversation came to an end. Probably mostly my fault. My excited, booming voice woke up little baby Isla. She was fine, of course. She just was sleeping. So we, we wrapped it up for the evening and went to bed, but I thought this was an interesting glimpse to share. If you go to my Instagram at um, the underscore real underscore Maverick Matthews, and you look at the December, December, the February 17th post, which announces this podcast, and you swipe through, you can see photographs of us sitting at the table. Uh, and then on the Virgin Atlantic flight over, and then the whole family at a restaurant in Switzerland. So thank you for letting me share this with you. It was hard. I actually recorded a good portion of this on my mother's birthday on 
February 12th. So, happy birthday, Mom. I wish... I wish I had a lot more of these. And I offer it to you as a... If your parents are still alive, even if you don't have a good relationship with them, I offer this to you as a cautionary tale. You can learn more. Because one day they will be gone. So... Go and check it out. I promise you the next episode I release will not be as heavy and serious. Last year, you know, if you go back and listen to the episodes from this last year, you'll hear me say over and over I'm in a new station. That's because I didn't want to say divorce. I'm still tackling it, still dealing with it. I will be dealing with it for the rest of my life. But over the last year, my shit has gotten real heavy, and I'm aware of that, and I'm sorry. It got real emo. It is what it is. I had to honor the station I was in that I continue to be in. But I am capable of stepping out of that frame, at least momentarily, to do fun stuff. And, you know, I I also have a radio show on Fringe.fm. If you just go to www.fringe.fm. And click on the Mindfire link. You can check out the archives. There have been some fun shows on there. I just released one with Nick Hinton, which was a Dystopia Now podcast. There will be more of those. In fact, maybe next time I'll, next week I'll try to release one of those on here. They're fun. They're silly. They are levity. But for, for whatever reason, that's not what this episode was. So thank you for putting up with it. And if you honor me by purchasing my book, I also tried to bring some levity to the book because the very last chapter is uh, a very funny story about Nick and I. Um, and so it's not all it's not all sadness. Just like life. You have to go through these stations. And I hope that my endurance of this last station means that the next one will be incredible and fruitful. So thank you for being here. Drop me a message on Instagram or at my website. Tell me what you think. I'm so grateful for all of my, what I call super fans, who stay in touch with me, who who give me encouragement. It really means a lot to me to be whatever I am to you guys. <laughs> I, I, I don't even pretend to know. You know, I'm definitely not the Burt Kreischer of the podcasting world or the Joe Rogan, but, you know, that's not the role I'm here to play. I'm just trying to honor what I am. So thank you for helping me do that. I will see you next time. And I leave you with a little music. Probably something you've already heard. But this is Zach Bryant playing Godspeed. A little clip. If you, uh, it's not a paid promotion. If you don't have this song, go out and buy it. That's how you can support him. And thank you for being here. My name is Maverick Matthews. And this was Pepper for Your Steak. Well, I want to send a postcard From the edge of a place I've never been 
And I wanna make love hard Under the stars in the back of a beat up okay And I wanna love a girl who Doesn't worry about the pictures when we kiss And wake up one day and not be so hit and miss Lay in bed all day and call that shit pure bliss I'm moving at God's speed only God and my mama know what I need And I feel the hardwood floors on my knees As I beg you just to take it easy on me I'm moving at God's speed 